0: Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church of God. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church, or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. All right, we're in a series on the book of James. We're smack dab in the middle of it. We're moving at light speed. This is the eighth message in James, and James is only five chapters long, and we're only in the second chapter, so we're we are woo, we're cooking with gas right now. Um, but uh, I am thoroughly enjoying this series. I hope you are as well. We're just taking a deep, 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 deep dive into the book of James. Um, so we're in chapter 2, starting at verse 14 today, so if you want to put a finger there bring it up on your phones, do whatever you do to read the scripture. There's also Bibles, uh, in front of you, uh, in the seats. So whatever you need to do, please join me in the book of James. Also, uh, with, with this whole idea of James, uh, we are, uh, we're starting in the middle of it. Uh, well, if you're joining us today, you're starting in the middle of it. You can always go back on our app or on, uh, podcasts are on our website and listen to past messages. Uh, and I want to encourage you to do that, with, especially with this series, because it's so loaded with good stuff. Um, just good, good stuff. There has not been a week yet that I haven't been sitting in my office and went, oh, that's so cool. Um, so that's that's really fun for me. And that, that makes my job uh, just fun. Uh, I enjoy when that happens and God's like, hey, look at this cool thing. And hey, look at this other cool thing. It's like you're God and you're smart or something. Um so there's, there's huh. um, so that's what's going on. Um, if you've ever asked yourself the question, what does this matter? What does faith matter? Why am I going to church? Why am I a part of this? What is happening? Um, what about belief? Isn't it just enough that I go to church or isn't it just enough that I believe? Do I really have to go to church? All those kind of que- those, those faith questions like what? What? What's, what's the point? If you're honest with yourself, if you're asked, you know, that question, uh, we're going to try to delve into that today, into that, that kind of sentiment, that kind of idea today of what's the point of church? What's the point of faith? What matters in my faith? What's actually the thing that God is looking for in my life? What is required of me? Because if I'm honest, um, growing up and in Grained in me in college and, and in my high school ministry and uh, just being a, a, a youth, a youth, if you will. Um, all that what was required of me was my 15 minutes of prayer and my 15 minutes of prayer time in my accountability group and that made me a great Christian. Um, that was what was, was, was needed of me. And I was supposed to do that. And if I didn't do that, I was going to hell. Um, no, that was just perceived. No one ever told me that, but that's, that's what what I, like, if I don't, if I don't do my quiet time, if you don't do your devos, how churchy is that? If you don't do your devos, whoo, parents are like. Jared, I'm trying to convince my teenager to do their devos, and you're killing me right now, Um, right? But no, those are important kids. However, that's not what God is requiring of us, and we're going to talk about that in James. We've, We've made it continually in the history of the church from forever ago, even from James. This is AD 55, probably. James is writing this. They're already making it about wrong stuff at the very beginning. The church is only 20 years old, and they're already kind of messing it up. They've all always made it about things they can control, my quiet time and all these things, personal only, this stuff. Those are fantastic, beautiful, wonderful things, but they are not the important part of faith. And James is going to talk about that today. He's got a serious issue dealing about uh, with, with people already thinking they're cool, they're okay, uh, God loves me and I'm going to heaven, everything's all right just because I am born a Jew. And this is a continuous problem throughout history, too, for for Christianity, uh, as well as just because of who my dad was or my grandpa was or so-and-so did this, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm going to heaven, everything's cool. And so James is writing to Jewish Christians who think everything is fine with them, they don't have to live out their faith, they don't have to put anything in action, they don't have to incorporate the scripture in their lives because I'm a Jew, I'm a chosen one, Jeremiah 29, 11, God has plans for me, I'm good. And James is like, that's not point and but if we're honest with ourselves sometimes we fall into that trap i was i went to confirmation i don't know when that happened but i did it i took communion once you know I'm good got a little pictures i was in a little white gown you know I mean, we do that right well like, oh I'm, I'm good i'm good i'm good i went to bible camp once i i, I volunteered at vbs i that was good for at least you know 50 sins right there. Uh, so but but we do that and that's not how this works. And so today, James's human mentality is I did certain things. I went to certain places. I, I did that. And that, that proves that I'm a Christian and I'm good to go. And then we have that set like, Oh, I did stuff and it's good to go. And we have this other mentality of, Oh, I was born. And so God should love me. And we have that that set. We actually that was a big thing. Maybe you've heard of this. Um, it's the, one of the most famous American uh, sermons ever. Uh, Jonathan Edwards gave a message in um, 1700s called "Sinners in a, a, in the hands of an angry God." The funny part about this is Jonathan Edwards is about yay tall, skinny dude had glasses that are about this thick, and he read verbatim all of his messages. So that sinners in the uh, hands of an angry God message was given like this by a, like, a, like a little, <laughs> like a little professor type dude. Um, he left that church to go actually be the, uh, I think the, the president of Yale. Um, that's like how studious and stuff he was. Uh, it's just always funny. You, you hear that message title and you're like, oh, this guy must have been like some big fire and brimstone. He was reading the thing. You guys. Um, I hope Professor reads my uh, listens to my messages. That's, that's straight out of uh, a history lecture I got out of, uh, for, from Professor Stregge. Uh Anyway, um, that's important because what that whole message is about, that the, the, this is a turning point in American Christianity. A, it started the Great Awakening. It was a big revival. This guy reading this, this message changed American Christianity in this. Before that, people thought, you know what, um, if I bought a pew at church, or if my daddy laid the cornerstone of the church, I was good. I was going to be saved. And my grandpa you know, bought my salvation this way and stuff. And um, just because who I was, oh, I'm Presbyterian. I'm, I'm good to go. Uh, there was this m- mentality of oops. Um, of, uh, it's kind of an inherited birthright. And so you have that mentality. You have the thing. Oh, I did, oh, I did what the church asked me to do. I did the perfect things. I'm good to go. Oh, I was born into it. I'm good to go. And James is actually saying, what, "What? What? and the same mentality is happening in the first century. And he's like, that's not what you're supposed to do at all. This is not the point. You guys are missing the boat. You're missing the picture. Let's, let's recalibrate what's going on. And it's not a new problem. It's not a Catholic problem. It's not a Protestant problem. It's not a, uh American Christianity problem. It's a. It's been since AD 55 problem. It's a human issue. We want to quantify it because we want to make faith all about ourselves. How am I good? How am I not going to hell? Okay, okay. Oh, I, I did this and I did that and did that. Cool. I had my quiet time. We are good to go. Okay. Oh, no. My daddy loves people and, and uh, I'm good there. I'll just ride his coattails. That's... That's not the way it works either. That's the human response, and I understand where that comes from, and I've probably been guilty of it myself, but as we read James, as we step into chapter two, because we're going to be in the mo- one of the most debated scriptures in all of uh, theological history today, that's what the mentality is going about, and it's not just a one-time debate. It's been going on for uh, 2,000 years, okay? So let's read this, this scandalous scripture this morning. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is Dead. But someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good! Even the demons believe that and shudder. Congratulations. Your faith is equal to a demon. So James is getting a little feisty. Uh That's what's going on here, okay? So this is uh, one of the most theologically debated verses in Scripture. Martin Luther, the great reformer, about 500, well, right at 500 years ago, this was the Scripture that kind of set him over the edge. He was like, wait, we're not, when they were forming the, uh, the Lutheran church, he was like, we're just cutting out James. The whole book of James is getting thrown out because of, uh, James chapter two, verse 14 to 18. He, because this whole faith and deeds thing, he was like, Nope, we're, we're just done. Because the interpretation of what was going on in the Catholic church at that time was, Hey, you want to get saved? You want to make sure that your relative's not going to hell or your grandpa's not, or you're not, or your son's not, you just pay a little money. And for nine ninety nine, you can get out of hell. <laughs> um, it was called indulgences and they were trying to fund the, the, uh, beautiful cathedrals in Rome. And so as fundraising, they are like, Hey, you know what? I know you love your kid. So you don't want to go to purgatory for only like a day. I got this. You give me a hundred thousand dollars and we'll make it happen. That's a great fundraising technique. It's terrible theology. Right? So that, that was what's going on. And, and, I'm not bashing Catholicism here. Okay. But this is, but that was, it was building into a a bad thing. Okay. And so what was happening? And then Luther reacted against that. So the works that Luther was arguing against was this, this gross abuse of, uh, of power. And, and he's going, no, 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 no. It can't be about just these one time only sacraments. It can't be about where you were married or who married you. It's got to be about something more. It it can't be about the indulgences. It's got to be about your faith. And so in the Catholic eyes, uh, at that time, they were going, well, you know, I, I, I bought this piece of paper. And no one, hardly, there's a, literally a couple thousand people in all of Europe could actually read the scripture. So when you only have a couple thousand people in the whole continent that can read the scripture, you're going to be able to abuse it in, in some way uh, or form. Um, and that's what was going on. And so Luther was like, hey, I can read it too. And uh, that's not what that's going for. Except he flips it on the other side. And he said... Faith only. It's only faith. It's only faith, which he's right, except he missed the point too. Because in verse eight of chapter two, how do we do this? He's like, what's the most important thing? The royal law. What's the royal law? That's a fun, fun thing to say. What's the royal law? Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor yourself includes all kinds of works. It's not where you are, where you got baptized and all these things and these, these church controlled or your quiet time. I'm going to put that on, on the Protestants as well. Okay. Our little, well, I did my Devo today and I'm totally fine. No, that's not what it's about either. It's about loving your neighbor as yourself. That's a whole lot harder than something I can control. I feel really good about myself and I'm like, man, I, I read the Bible today. I prayed. I am uber Christian today. Walk past five homeless people and -and so-and-so's house burned down. I didn't do anything about that. But I read about how Jesus cared about people, so that was cool, and I'm I'm good today. Right? There is a problem with that because what the royal law is is love your neighbor as yourself. So when James is talking about works, he's not talking about how to hold your tongue right and what church you go to and did I... uh, Get a complete remember the attendance. If you ever went to church as a little kid and, and there's a little attendance things, and you gotta put a sticker on the sheet, uh that was like the big deal at kindergarten. Uh like that's that's not the de- no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I just see James in heaven kind of going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so sorry. Um that's how I read the Bible. Hopefully it helps you. Um I just kind of did my defos, right? Uh Luther's, or uh, sorry, going back to this. So we have these two camps that are misinterpreting the scripture, and James is going, no, 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 no. See, when you only read the scripture to validate your own points, and for argument's sake, you get some weird stuff out of it. And honestly, as we read the scripture ourselves, as we go through it for ourselves, we have to be very, 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 very honest with ourselves. Am I reading the scripture to validate my own preconceived notions or am I reading it for heart change? And that goes for all kinds of stuff. I, the last church I worked at, the senior pastor gave this fantastic message on marriage and how you should fight for your marriage and, and all just this wonderful, like I know you're going through hard stuff and you should fight for it. And he got an email the next day. Thanks for your message yesterday, pastor. I'd now have the courage to leave my husband. And he's like, but that's not what I said. <laughs> so um, when, you, when you look at stuff through a certain lens and you want it to say something, you can make it say almost anything you want, right? And so as we go into James and why I've loved the slow look at James is we have to look at James continually through this big picture of how does that go with this? How does this go with this? How does this go with this? How does this go with this? Because if I don't if I don't read verse 14 to 19 with the lens of verse eight of the royal law, I can make works indeed say what I want to do. but what he's talking about is that coming back even farther, taking a bigger form, bigger thing, all of James, we've talked about it every single week, All of James should be interpreted through this one lens, the first verse of the the, the book. James, a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ. James, a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ. Why is that so important? Because if we are a servant, what does a bondservant mean? That means someone paid a price for me. And in the case of what James is talking about, God has paid for the price of my past, my present, and my future. Zozo, which is the Greek word for salvation, has it means all three: salvation in the past, salvation in the present, and salvation in the future. So to be a bond servant is I am. I, he's paid for all my junk, all the stuff, all the stupid things, all the everything that I come with. He's also paid for all the stupid things I'm doing right now. Right. And he's also going, he's so graceful and merciful. He's also paid for all the stupid stuff I'm going to do. And because I'm a dad of three kids, there's going to be a lot of stupid stuff that I will do in the future. Amen? Right? So, to be a bondservant, here's the beautiful part. that I, As we keep on reading in James, and I, I want to be very, because I said um, I can make the scripture say what I want it to say because if I only look at a small thing. There's this beautiful part that I want you guys to get. I've been hitting this bondservant thing really, really, really hard. But there's another aspect of what God does in this. Is that We are his servants, bondservant. He has paid a price for us, and we are to serve him. But the next thing that happens, the blood on the cross washes away our sins. It pays for that. But the next thing that God does for us is he sets us free. And he doesn't set us free just to live mediocre lives. He sets us free to become co-heirs with Christ. He adopts us into the family. That adoption is incredibly important. Because think about how scandalous that is. To be a slave. To be bought. And to say, no, 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 no. Now you are a co-heir. You are adopted into the family. Can you imagine that in a Roman? uh, Romans had adoption all the time. Um, One of the, Julius Caesar adopts Augustus, right? That's an adoption, a power play. He adopts him because he wants, well, one, he wants to take off his family, but he also wants to elevate this kid and there's money involved and all this fun stuff. It was only for mutual benefit. We cannot benefit God in any way, shape, or form, but he adopts us anyway. In fact, we are so lowly, we are counted as slaves, but he says, hey, you know what? With all your stuff and all your junk and all your your baggage, I still, I forgive all that. I paid for all of that, and now I want to elevate you, adopt you into the family. Like if you adopt a child, right? Several of you have. Uh, in this church, and that is beautiful, a beautiful story to, to, to see and to hear and to be a participant in. If you adopt a child, you're not looking at that kid and be like, that cost me forty grand to adopt you, so you're really going to have to do all the chores around here. You need to get, jump on it. You better be getting a college scholarship because if you don't, cut off. Right? That does not inter- – it might every once in a while when they're acting up, kind of pop in your head, but it's not like your default position, right? Like, Kindle. Her first four years of life was in the emergency room all the time, and I joke around. Well, there's her college scholarship. She's got to she's got to work for this stuff. She she got all the money at the beginning. Um, now that's not real. She bats her eyes at me. I'm like, yeah, here's a pony. Um, but <laughs> but when you're adopted, you adopted a kid. You're not worried about the price that you paid for him. You have made them co-heirs and that's how God perceives you. So before we go too much further, I want you to know, because it's really easy to beat yourself up, right? Oh, I'm nothing. I'm worthless. I'm a slave to God. And, and I better just, just cast his eyes myself and, uh, and, and do everything. But also he is, he has paid the price and you are, you owe him your service, but he has elevated you to co-heir adopted status. Well, isn't that beautiful and amazing? So some, sometimes I, I just build that guilt And I build that weight on my shoulders. And then I'm not able to move because I'm like, "Ugh!" God has made us co-heirs. Take that off your shoulders. All right. James 2, 14. I'm going to want to break down these verses kind of one by one here. What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? So if you claim you are a servant but don't serve, what's the point have you actually become a servant, right? Like, oh, I'm I'm a servant. You know, I'm uh, I'm serving. I work at so and so, and oh, you do? What hours do you work? Uh, I don't ever actually work there. I just I got the twenty percent off card, so I can go buy stuff there. <laughs> so you don't actually work there? Oh, I do. No, I got an employee number, and I got my little card. Yeah, but you don't do anything for that. Yeah, you see. If you don't serve, what's the point? Instead, it looks like you're trying to play politics or you're a sycophant or you're kind of like, well, you know, I, I'm a servant of so-and-so. And that causes an issue. This is what's going on in the faith thing. If I say I'm a Christian but I never actually live out the royal law, if I never love God with everything I am and I never love my neighbor as myself, uh, are you really? Are you, are you really? Are you really living it out? Because it can't be the faith that your daddy had. It's got to be yours and it's got to be lived out by you. If faith doesn't lead to different action, what good is it? If faith doesn't le- uh, lead to different action, what good is it? If we say we have faith, but it doesn't change our behavior, what good is it? And I said, Worked in the South before here. Um, and I worked in a, um, a, a very interesting staff. We had um, about 10 staff members, and 30% of those staff were um, were ba- uh, ex-Baptists. And I don't know. We're a non denominational church, so it's kind of a... Uh, some of them were Baptists. Some of them were uh, Assemblies of God. Some of them... One of the guys went to a Pres- Presbyterian seminary, and then there was me, and we're just all kind of a weird potpourri of, of people. But one thing about being in the South and you can't have dinner with someone without having an altar call. Like, you know, you got to have an altar call. If someone prayed, we're having an altar call. Someone's getting saved tonight. Everyone in the room has been saved five times. We don't have to keep on doing this. And it's just, that's what happens. And so there's like this kind of this guilt trip and you got to someone, I'm like, I'm going for it. I know I'm a pastor, but I'm going to get saved tonight just so we can go home. Like, come on now. (laughs) Um, And that kind of thing happened. And so, we, we, it's kind of ingrained and it's a cultural thing and it's very interesting. The problem with that is people would say, oh, yeah, I, 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 I got saved tonight or whatever. Well, that happened every Friday night for the last 16 weeks and there's never been a change in action because people are coming, ah, this moment, this emotional time, and that's going to change me. No, 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 no. It's the change in action afterwards. It's the I have sold myself as a bondservant to Christ and now I'm a co-heir with him and my whole demeanor has changed. Some people, we get stuck in that moment of I'm coming to Christ and then I don't change anything. I need my past bought, and then next week he can buy my past again, and then next week he can buy my past a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time. Now, I make fun of that situation, but we kind of fall into the same deal at the same time. Faith does not lead to different action. What good is it? Verse 15, suppose a brother or sister without clothes is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action is dead. Now it's kind of like the new Testament equivalent of I'm sending thoughts and prayers, right? There's a, Christianity is getting a pretty bad rap right now because of the thoughts and prayers things. I believe in the power of prayer. I've seen people's lives change because of prayer. People's physical conditions have been changed because of prayer. I get that. But there's also, we got to do something. (laughs) Like You you got to do something. Like, ah, my thoughts and prayers are with you. That's nice. Thanks. I remember people putting their faith in action. Some of my first memories uh, in life are this. I lived in California when I was really, really young and, uh, we had some uh, monetary issues. Like we didn't have any, that was the, that was the, that was the monetary issue. And my, and I, I was pretty sheltered from my parents, uh, uh financial woes, which is good. But I mean, they were honest with us as well, uh, with me as well. Um, but I remember crates of fruit being dropped off on the porch of our house. I remember an earthquake, water sw- swashing out of the pool of our house, and I remember, uh, I remember my rock family. I had a grandpa rock <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a grandma rock, and I remember food being dropped off on the porch of my house. Those are my three earliest memories. Faith and action. That's what I remembered. Now, I didn't know it as a four-year-old that that was what was going on, but I, as I incorporate now, someone cared enough about our family to drop off food. My mom would tell us stories about uh, being praying for how we're going to pay this bill. I don't know. We're going we're to pray for, the, for this and a check coming in the mail. Folks, just doing thoughts and prayers doesn't provide the check in the mail. Some, when you have that moment, sometimes you are the answer to the prayer. And I call it a divine uh. Like you can't get past it's a divine uh. If you have a divine uh about something, you better do something about it because that uh is going to turn into heartburn and you, you don't want to be there because that's faith in action. I'll tell you personally right now. Uh, the Puerto Rico stuff drives me insane. There's a, uh, in there. I don't know what to do about it. I just got to, uh, now I don't know if that's organize a mission trip. I don't know if that's give my own money. I don't know if that's me go down. I don't know what I got to do. Um, but I don't know what that means, but I got to, uh, that doesn't mean it's your, uh, it means it's my, uh. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes when you guys get uhs, you come tell me your uhs, and you're mad when I don't do something about your uh. Did that make sense? Because I'll, I'll go slower through it, okay? <laughs> right? Sometimes, sometimes there's a, you've been praying about something, and you've been working. Maybe it's something totally different than, than, than what I'm dealing with, and you're going, oh, man. It's a very good uh. It's just not my uh. And as, a, as a elders and a leadership of the church, it's not the church's uh. It's your uh, and you take care of your uh. Because God has divinely given you your own uh. I make you laugh, but this divine discontent is what it is. It just makes you uncomfortable because you know that it has been placed on your heart to do something. And that is when you know, I've got to do something about this. Because if we say, hey, And that stinks for you. I'll pray about that. Now, if you pray about it, fantastic. Stuff will happen in prayer. But how often is that happening? Are we like, I'll be praying for you. (laughs) Next week you see them, darn it. I did not pray for them. Is there a sign? Is there? (laughs) You know, have you ever wondered like, oh, man, they can tell. They can tell Leslie that I did not pray for them. (laughs) Sorry. But that's my own insecurities coming out? Maybe. Maybe. Do something with your uh moment. Do something. There was a um, couple ladies came into the church last Thursday and um, had a meeting with me about their uh moment. And uh, we were talking and, about it and they were so excited about it. I had no idea what they were talking about because they jumped in the middle and they just were so excited about this uh moment. And as I started to think about their uh moment, all of a sudden I got excited about their uh moment. And I was like, this is so cool. This is going to be awesome. I can't wait. We're going to unveil this in a couple of weeks to you about what's going to be happening at the church. But it was an ah uh, moment that was like, ah, oh, this can be an ah uh, moment. And it's going to involve everybody. It's going to be fantastic. And I can't wait for us to do that. But sometimes someone comes in the office and says, this is my uh moment. And I'm going, that's your uh moment. And don't be mad at me that I didn't join you in your uh moment. It's okay. God gave you that ah uh, moment. You do something about it. Does that make sense? It just... Sometimes, don't be offended. This is your your um, you got an "uh" moment. It's a very spiritual talk. This "uh" moment. I don't know what the the theological term for that is, but I think "uh" gets it right. All right, verse nineteen. You believe that there is a God. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Verse eighteen. But someone will say, "You have faith, and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds." See, James is getting pretty snippy here. The challenge is thrown down. It becomes, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? And so who he's actually writing is these, these Jewish Christians. They're like, yeah, of course I've got faith. I was born as a Jew. I did the whole law thing. I've been circumcised. I eat the right foods. I'm good to go. All right, I'm good. And James is like, no. The royal law. How are you loving your neighbor as yourself? How are you caring for them? How are you doing the messy work? That's what matters because I'll show you what I'm doing. I'm in people's messes. This is James talking. It's messy. But you got to get into that mess. That's what James is saying. It's not worth anything if you're not. In fact, he goes on, verse 19, you believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. Congratulations. And I got to just, the burden on my heart is, is my faith A demon-like faith? I believe there's God. Good for me. Or am I putting in action? Do I have a demon-like faith? Or is my faith empowering people and and loving people in such a way that I'm shaking the very foundations of hell and ripping people away from hell and going to heaven? Is that that my kind of faith? Those are hard questions to start to ask myself. Because I can play church really, really well. I can show up my three or four times a month. I can do my quiet time. I can be involved in a life group. And whoo, woo whoo, I'm checking off all the boxes. But what am I really doing with my faith? If faith doesn't propel change, what good is it? If faith doesn't propel change, what good is it? See this this idea of loving your neighbor. It's hard. We've been talking a lot about it. It's the scripture. (laughs) Like I've been talking more about love your neighbor as yourself as I've been going line by line through the scripture. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. It's not topical. It hasn't been like, oh, I'm gonna how can I talk about love your neighbor today? It's just reading the scripture. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Can I tell you something about loving your neighbor? It's really messy. The only relationship that won't be messy about love is that of a golden retriever. Like, that's the only one that's not going to cause problems. And sometimes that gets messy. You know, when you have to put one down, it's messy. Uh, But other than that, you're good. You're good. good. But you're trying to love your neighbor, and all of a sudden you get into stuff, and you're like, this was way more than I, I I can't handle my own issues. i got to deal with these issues too. Loving your neighbor is messy, but it's what God is calling us to do. We tried to yesterday, the helping hands ministry, um, went up to, uh, Aurora to pastor Manny's uh, house to the, uh, restorations, uh, parsonage and it's in bad repair and they started working on stuff. And you know what they did? They uncovered bigger messes. We, 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 in my family, we call it fixing it good. You know, when you, you got to go to home Depot eight times instead of four, like you fixed it good because relationship and trying to help is messy. And sometimes when you enter into someone's mess, it's already broken. It's already a mess. And you you get in there, you go, oh, buddy, we, we found more of a mess. When we do that, we have to go, okay, am I cutting bait and running? Oh, my God, I'm in this mess now. What do I do now? How do I love in this situation? How do I care in this situation? Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is say, hey, this is where we're at. And I'm going to have to step back now because you've, got to, you've become dependent on me. Sometimes the loving thing to do is just say, that's enough. But other times it's like, I just got to push through. I can be a better friend than this. I can be a better, a better, uh, better Christian than this. I can push through this. I can, I can love this. It is hard. It is messy. And I'm getting stuff all over me, but I'm going to love you through this. James is like, look, I'll show you how I'm loving people. You can show me your birthright. I'm going to go with how I'm loving people. And I don't know about you, but I get very uncomfortable with that mess. That, sc- that mess scares me away. That mess. I'm like, Oh, or the, actually the mess doesn't scare me away. Cause I like people. What scares me away is the foregone. I've already built up messes in my head. If I love Eric. Oh, it's going to be so messy. I'm going to have to deal with this issue and that issue. And this, Oh, and, and I have to deal with his wife. Oh Lord, help me. Uh, <laughs> You know, I've, got, I've built all this stuff. Never mind. I'm not going to love Eric in the first place. It's too much work. Right? Anybody else play those mind games? I am the only person who overthinks relationships, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was a very honest <laughs> right there. Uh, if faith does not propel change, what good is it? We have to be willing to get into those messes. We have to love our neighbor. If we're honest with ourselves and we ask these questions, these are hard questions. These are, these are like, oh, I don't want to deal with that kind of issue, Jared. I just wanted to come to church and have some, have some potluck food, and I hope so-and-so built, made those baked beans that are awesome. I just want that. Faith doesn't lead to different action. What good is it? If faith doesn't expect something, um, what good is it? If faith doesn't propel change, what good is it? So here's some questions I want to leave you with this morning. Has faith become something you go to? Or something you live out? Has faith become something you go to? Or something you live out? And if I'm going to answer that question honestly, probably faith way vastly the majority of the time is something I go to. It's something I check off. Not something I live out. And that's got to change. What steps can your family take to live out faith together? What steps can your family take to live out faith together. How, what, what do you need to change? How do you adjust some things that faith becomes a central part of, of how you serve together, how you love together? And then finally, what are you going to do this week to love your neighbor? What are you going to do this week to love your neighbor? And who's your neighbor? Everybody. The people you like, the people you don't like. What are you going to do this week to love your neighbor? Let's pray as the band comes forward. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. Lord, I ask you to um, give us divine discontent, to give us uh, moments, to give us these things that we know we have to do something about, that you, would, that you would make it so it's beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is something you are calling us into. That we're just not living life going from from activity to activity, but we are living life with a mission to love people, to make an impact, to make a change in this world. God, as you shape us, as you change us, Lord, I just don't leave me alone this week. Please pester me. Please make me uncomfortable. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who has paid the price for me. That you paid for my past, you paid for my present, and you have paid for my future. That you would stop at nothing to have relationship with me. That your blood washes me clean. And God, out of respect for that, out of all of that, I want to be the best servant for you I possibly can be. So, Lord, will you, will you help me change my actions? Will you help me become a person of love, a person who, who sees the plights of my neighbors, who sees their pain, and does something about it? Lord, I love you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com. To continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ, you can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.